Welcome to the Finding Yourself Single podcast. Finding Yourself Single is a podcast for post-40 singles, navigating life after divorce, transitioning to being single, building a new life, trying to create positive family dynamics, and exploring new relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian Berger and Katie Katzman. Welcome to the Finding Yourself Single podcast. This is season one, episode four. Listen to all episodes of the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Apple and Spotify podcasts and podcast platforms everywhere. Follow the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Instagram at Finding Yourself Single and on Twitter at Find Yourself SNG. Email the hosts with your personal story of how you're finding yourself single or submit topic and guest suggestions at single at gmail.com. In this episode, Divorce Without Attorneys, we are joined by Peg McLaughlin from SoCal Legal Docs, where she is the lead LDA and has assisted hundreds of improper self-represented litigants over the years. Peg provided family law paralegal services to Southern California attorneys for over 30 years. She has extensive experience dealing with Riverside, San Diego, Orange, San Bernardino, and Los Angeles County Courts and has established good working relationships with many attorneys, paralegals, and court personnel within these jurisdictions. You can learn more about Peg and SoCal Legal Docs on her website, SoCalLegalDocs.net. Please note that nothing Peg says on this podcast can be taken as legal advice, nor does she give legal advice. SoCal Legal Docs operates only in California. I am joined by my co-host, Brian Berger. Welcome, Brian. Katie, nice to be with you again and uh, really looking forward to this conversation. I think last week we gave our listeners insight into the family legal system and I feel like Peg has really good insight into if you can get divorced without attorneys, the best ways to do that. So I know I learned a lot from talking to her, and I think our listeners will learn a lot as well. I do, too. I mean, I think we um, in this one, we're providing our audience a 180 degree turn from episode three, mm-hmm. right, which was the family legal system. And, you know, I thought we could talk a little bit about that. But before we do, Brian, I you know, we've been getting a lot of feedback from our listeners on this podcast. It's really exciting. So and people emailing in. So what are some of the things that you're hearing? What are they saying? Well, I mean, look. We've had two amazing guests so far, Dr. Shafali and then Amanda List. And I think one of the things I've been hearing is people really like their candor and their their bluntness, to be honest with you. Like they are very direct and to the point. And I think people are looking at parenting a little bit differently because of Dr. Shafali. Um, and I know I've been enjoying her book and I know you have too, The Parenting Map. And very rarely do you get insight like we got from Amanda List without paying for it. I mean, let's be honest. You've usually got to go sit out and pay a few hundred bucks to get that kind of insight. And I felt like she gave us really good, tangible insight. And I've heard from a lot of listeners after they heard that episode, they're like, wow, that scared the you know what out of me. And, you know, as I'm going through the process of divorce, I really would like to find a way to, you know, do something like what we're going to talk about today versus leaving it in the hands of the stranger, the judge, the people who don't know you, the custody evaluators. And so I think people are really looking at things differently because of the podcasts that we've done so far. And, you know, I guess the last thing I've heard is just that this is much needed information and insight and content and perspective. And There's a lot of people out there struggling with this stuff, whether it's parenting after divorce or navigating the family legal system. You know, we're going to do an episode on dating divorced. We're going to talk about grief and loss after divorce. I think these are topics that really are resonating with the listeners. And that makes me happy that, that, you know, we're helping people and, and hopefully um, letting them listen to some of the experts that really know a lot about this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um, people definitely, you know, going back to Dr. Shafali, uh, I, I know very few people that did not want the book after they heard from her and found it really helpful, right? I'm still 
working through mine like a workbook. And, you know, we also had somebody write in or a few, I think, but we've had people write in with, with asking us to handle new topics, which is really exciting. And we don't take that lightly. You know, we really feel you know, very honored to do so. And, uh, and we will be doing so, you know, so we're going to be weaving those, those questions in the next, you know, couple episodes that we have. So we hope that we get more of that, that you all will, will write in with, with questions, comments, or feedback for us, because that's what drives things forward. And, uh, we really can integrate your, your thoughts, your questions, and create this community that is so, so needed out there. Um, it can be a very lonely place to be going through or have gone through a divorce. It, it doesn't, as I'm going to tell my story today, it really doesn't end when your divorce is over. It kind of begins. So um, this is kind of where I feel like we're at is, you know, where it's a new beginning and um, bringing all this information and experts forward. So this is a kind of a 180 degree turn from the previous episode, Divorce Without Attorneys. How do you think these two episodes are going to help someone who's going through divorce or they're thinking about it? Well, I think after you hear both of these episodes, you're going to have a lot of questions to ask yourself and, and you're soon to be X, right? Um, or maybe you work through things, but I think it's going to give people a lot to consider, you know, is we made it very, very clear so far with co-parenting or you know, getting divorced, it takes two people to agree. If only one person agrees, it can get really messy. So that's the trick is you've got to figure out how do you put your own, you know, what aside and do things as amicably as possible. If you're getting divorced, uh, co-parent as amicably as possible. And there's an easy way or not easy way, but an easier way, a less expensive way for sure. Or you know, there's the knockdown drag out, like we talked about last week. And, you know, I'll say it again. I didn't want to go down the gravel truck road, hanging onto the back of the pickup truck. Like I, I wanted to try and do things as amicably, amicably as possible. But when the other person won't agree to that, and when your relationship with your child is on the line, you know, there are just some things you're not willing to sacrifice. I would have sacrificed a lot of the money and the material items. I was not willing to walk away from my daughter. And I'll never regret that decision, but there's a lot to consider. And I think between these two episodes, we do a good job and our experts do an excellent job of laying out all of the things that you have to consider if you're going through this process. I agree. And what I do hear from both of them is that everyone is so different. Every case is so different. And what's important about that is that you focus on you and your situation, your children, your, you know, soon to be ex-spouse, getting to really make things go the way that they could go the most smoothly. So in that process. So uh, a lot of times I think we look at other people, we, you know, other stories, what did they do? What And it's, I think this is a really a time where you can really turn inward and you find the solutions that work best for you. And we're hoping with these two episodes that we do provide a little bit of, uh, you know, exposure, but certainly not to copy anything. And God hope you don't have to, right? But but also just to give exposure, but to really apply it to you and what, what's going to work best for you. Sometimes it's not knowing what's out there is, is a hindrance. So, you know, just bringing more exposure to everybody out there. Well, Brian, on the last episode, you went through and, and shared your story with us, which, you know, I've heard a lot of feedback, too, about that, you know, an appreciation that you were that, you know, that you, that you shared all you've been through. And again, my story is so different, but I am prepared to share a little bit of it today, if that's OK with you. And I, I'll do that. Yeah. Oh. Thank you for being vulnerable. And, and thanks for sharing your story with us. Yeah, you're, you're, well, don't thank me yet. Here it goes. <laughs> so I will talk a little bit about my story. And I am the one that chose the not to go through the court system. And maybe this will kind of give uh, listeners a background as to why I did that. So when I realized that we were getting a divorce, I felt like my complete foundation dropped out. I was um, 26 years into a marriage taking two kids through life who were now in college. We had traveled around the world. We have lived in four countries. We had worked together. 
as husband and wife, we had owned a business together. I was ready for our empty nest years. To be honest, I was in complete shock. So many people talk about their divorce in terms of the settlement or their battle in and out of court and all the money they wasted to get there. Mine will always be about waking up. As I woke up to what this marriage was and what it wasn't, I was really scared. I went into survival mode, and that for me means I became the problem solver. I didn't feel safe, and I was also starting to look at our assets, wondering how were we going to split things up. What was complicated was that while I paid all of the family bills, I didn't have access to all of the bank accounts. Our kids were halfway through college, one on a scholarship, the other paying their way through by working. We had a house, cars, retirement, some debt, and some savings. There were times when I was frozen. I didn't know what my life was going to look like. My salary was less than his, and most of our money had gone into our business. I had met a legal docs assistant in my business networking international group. So I knew there was a low cost option for divorce. I never forgot that. I also knew that saving money would be important to my spouse. I started to think this could work. We briefly discussed it and he agreed. I would organize our documents, create the agreement and present it to him. A CPA friend gave me a spreadsheet where I listed all of our assets and debts. Over several weeks, I collected bank statements, retirement statements, credit card statements, mortgage and payroll statements, and determined the value of our cars, our home, and other property. Everything was split 50-50 on the spreadsheet. Then it was time to work with the bottom line. Instead of receiving spousal support, I asked that my spouse pay me a lump sum, calculated out a certain number of years, and paid at present day value. Rather than paying cash, I asked him to credit me in home equity. So now was the time to move things around on the spreadsheet, and the plan was to do what would make it easy on both of us. Credit me through home equity, I would own the home. Each keep our cars, each keep our retirement, each take on specific loans and have a cash settlement to balance out the difference. It came out even to the dollar. And I'll never forget that moment because I knew I'd done something right. We sat down at our dining room table, went over everything line for line and signed the papers. About four months later, the documents came back from the court and we met at a UPS store halfway between us and signed our divorce papers with a notary. We carried out the agreement over the next few months. And by the time our divorce was final, it was about 10 months from the day I first learned that my marriage was truly over. It was very stressful and scary because I was mostly still shocked that I was getting divorced. In the end, I realized how fast it actually went. Our divorce cost under $2,000, part of which we split. So the cost to me was around $1,200. The day our divorce was final was anticlimactic. That was when my personal journey began, finding myself. Katie, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that's not easy. Such a credit to you for being a problem solver and figuring out how to push through the extreme emotions of grief and loss and divorce and figure out a way to get this done, right? You know, it's not easy because you're, you're experiencing such severe emotions when you're going through divorce. And sometimes you're paralyzed to the point where you can't even focus on creating a spreadsheet or looking at numbers or gathering value on a car or a house or whatever, like you just want to lay in bed and, and close the drapes and, and not face the world. And, you know, the fact that you were able to do it the way that you were is a credit to you. And, you know, I say this to anyone that I know that got divorced, but I'll, I'll say it to you, especially after 26 years, which was a lot longer than I was married. You know, I'm sorry. And I don't know one person who ever got married and said, you know, 
I'm going to be married for a while, but then at a certain point, I'll be getting divorced. Like everyone thinks it's forever. Everyone thinks it's happily ever after. And unfortunately, it's not um, in a lot of cases like ours. So, you know, there is a lot of grieving after that happens. But uh, I just have so much respect for the way that you handled this and uh, the way you're finding yourself single and, and moving on afterwards. All right. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. And, you know, looking back, I realized that this whole process was like a became like a project to me, its mm-hmm. own mission that I think I said earlier in a podcast, like I'm quite competitive and I think that <laughs> I wanted to win, but I don't mean like win and take everything. I meant like I wanted to get this done amicably. And so when it was over, it literally was a letdown. I was like, what am I going to do now with my time? Like I, I, <laughs> I had this project going. I was so wow. busy with it and it was over. I was like, okay. And I realized Okay, that was seriously coping. You know, I was the project itself of getting the paperwork done was also a coping mechanism of keeping myself super busy. So there's all that wrapped into it. And then you, you know, there's that's something to untangle too, right? So, <laughs> so it's really a process. And I think this whole now, when the divorce was over, and now it's like, oh, I kind of thought I'd be celebrating and be like, oh, yay, you know, it's it's, that whole thing's over. Not at all. It was like, wow, now I have to figure out my own life. And that's where I am now on a day-to-day basis. And that's what this podcast is helping with too, right? So yeah, it's like, it's interesting. It's like you say the only way out is through. It's something I've always said to my, my clients or my students, the only way out is through. And it's true. You know, you just, you, you worked through it. So appreciate that. And thanks for letting me share the story. I hope that, you know, the way I did things will be of help to somebody that I'm not just some crazy person out there that did it, did it like this to stay sane. But um, I'll tell you what, I did save a lot of money and it saved my my ex-husband a lot of money and our, and our kids too. So I am proud of that. I want to pick up on something that you just said that I think is important. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with the conversation coming up with Peg, but I think it's important to note. You talked about how this became your mission and it kept you busy and it kept, you know, that was your eye on the ball, so to speak. I heard a lot of people going through divorce talk about that, where they keep themselves busy, whether it's with their job or, you know, like in my case, I was in the court system so long, like it became my job. You know, I got to prepare for filing this. I got to prepare for this court appearance or this trial or this meeting with a therapist or whoever it was. And then when it's over, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, like I have all this free time now that I wasn't planning on because I've been so in the fight and in the battle. And I think one of the good things about this podcast, and I know it's been therapeutic for me so far, is there is life after divorce. And there is a life ahead. And we did the best we could do in our marriages. I think we did the best we could do as parents. And this is, you know, part of the past. The the marriages that we had before is part of the past. But I think it's an important point to bring up is people get so consumed with the battle or the spreadsheet that when that's done, they sit back and go, what now? And there is a lot of life after what now. And hopefully people can focus on that. I know I'm working really hard to try and focus on that. And there's a lot of other things in life out there beyond just the battle or being consumed by all of this, because it can be really consuming. I, I talk to people and sometimes this is like the first thing they bring up. And I'm sure you know, when it was raw for me, for a lot of people, it was the first thing I brought up and people are like, wow, they're still really in it. But I think we're both good examples of there is life on the other side of this. And it doesn't mean it's an easy life. Doesn't mean it doesn't come without trials and tribulations and rough days, days you cry or you don't want to get out of bed, but there is life on the other side of this. Absolutely. Right. As you were saying that, it hit me too, that, you know, even our divorce process, when it's over, that is also a loss. 
It's a change in habitual pattern that we've had for so many days, weeks, months, or years. And we're going to be talking about grief and loss and what that is. And it's it's not something easy to detect, but it's a, it's a big change. So we could even be grieving something that one might think like, why would you be grieving your divorce process? Well, because I was caught up in it for so long, right? So grieving doesn't mean I'm actively thinking I'm missing it. It just means something's changed here. I don't, I feel off balance, you know? So there's a lot of settling that has to happen when these things are finished. And, you know, like you said, you could just lie in bed or you could get up and do a project. Well, you probably need to do both, really, you know, and I probably didn't do enough of the lying in bed, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'll do that now. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it's it all has to kind of happen, but that it is a part of our, our grief process, which I'm excited we're going to be hitting on before, you know, the end of our season. So. Well, Brian, before we turn it over to the interview with Peg, is there anything else you want to discuss in terms of, you know, the divorce process or the interview that we had with her? Let me start with the divorce process. And and this actually even extends beyond the divorce process. This could be the therapist you're going to hire, even if you're not going through divorce. We don't do a good enough job oftentimes in vetting people. And in this process, you're vetting people who are dealing with such sensitive stuff. It could be therapy for your child. It could be uh, very private financial information. It could be, how are you going to split property? How much do you have left on your mortgage? And I hear stories all the time of people who are like, oh yeah, my neighbor told me to hire this person. So I did. And they don't do any vetting. Um, I'm going to give a very specific example. If you're going to hire a therapist, there is a mental health regulatory website in every state. This is in the U.S. You can go to that website. You can type in the name of the therapist that you're considering hiring, and it will show you if there's any disciplinary actions against that therapist. Obviously, if there are, probably not a therapist you want to hire. That's not going to show up in a general Google search. Same thing with lawyers. Uh, legal doc experts, custody evaluators. Like it's one thing to talk to your friends, but I wouldn't just rely on a friend's referral. I would do your homework. I would vet people. Again, these are people who are helping you with huge decisions. This isn't like, oh, should I get 2% milk or non-fat milk? Like this is really big stuff that you're dealing with. And you want to make sure that the people that you're working with don't have any disciplinary actions against them, that they've been vetted, and that they're going to help you get through this in, in the best possible way. I'm so glad you brought that up, you know, that you're looking at their background, because I bet you most people don't do that. And I also think it's really important because your friend, your neighbor might say this person was amazing and great. They might not be the one that you, right. that you click with. Or that really you that you get, you know, everyone has a different personality. And I have been there where I've chosen people off of off of references and not really check my own my own compass. Right. So I think it's really important to check your gut, you know, and check your feeling around people you're hiring because you're going to spend a lot of time with them and, and put a lot of trust into them. So make sure it's you're choosing it and not somebody else. So well, and. There's some great people out there that are, are really helpful, but I have to say there's some really shady people out there too. And yep. this this is a system where you're going to find some shady people and yep. um, you have to be careful and you have to protect yourself because again, you're dealing with uh, very important stuff and you're dealing with, if you have kids, kids who are transitioning through divorce with you and going from, you know, married parents to divorced parents. So Again, whether it's the therapist they're seeing or whoever, um, you want to make sure that the people that you're going to hire are being closely looked at and, and vetted. So that's my public service announcement. I meant to mention it last episode, but I think it's applicable for uh, this episode too. And, and you know, anyone that you would consider hiring as part of the divorce process. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, I think perfect timing. Well, I think it's time we get our listeners on to the uh, the interview, everyone. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Peg McLaughlin from SoCal Legal Docs. Hey, Peg, thanks for joining us on the Finding Yourself Single podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. You know, I just shared a bit of my story in the intro, 
And now we want you to help us educate our listeners in the process of going through divorce with the help of a legal docs assistant versus an attorney. So I remember when you and I, or when you and I met, and I owned my health fitness business, and uh, we met at the BNI, and we had a had a one to one. And I remember thinking, I'm probably never going to need her services, but it really sounded like a financially smart way to go, and I never forgot it. Um, so to this day, I'm really glad that we did have that meeting. And when I realized I was going to get a divorce, I knew there was an option to work with you and to avoid the typical family legal system route. So let's just lay this out for our listeners. What does the process look like to go through divorce with a legal docs assistant? Okay. So, well, generally, I usually hear from the party that is most fed up first <laughs> with the situation. So I like to ask a lot of questions right from the start. I make it really clear I'm not an attorney. I don't give legal advice, but I ask a lot of questions to kind of figure out whether I'm going to be able to work with them, how long the marriage has been, uh, if there are minor children, do they own their house? Do they have a lot of other assets and debts? What are their incomes? Um, and probably most importantly, whether they're on the same page, whether you know this is going to be a divorce that they're both in agreement with, and if they think they're going to be able to work out a settlement, you know, to settle all the issues of the case. If the answer to that question is yes, it really doesn't matter what the answers to the first bunch of questions are. They should probably be able to work with me. If they can work together to reach a settlement, then I can be the person that puts all that into writing. If the answer is no, then, you know, I probably need to refer them on to an attorney and they have to go that route. So um, as far as the process beginning, you know, the, the beginning of the case, they need to get prepared with, you know, I'm going to ask them their date of marriage, their date of separation, their children's names and birth dates, you know, what kind of assets they have. And then we just complete the documents, listing all their assets, all their debts, uh, the income and the expenses. That documentation gets filed with the court. The other party gets served with the initial paperwork. And that basically starts the clock ticking. You know, that starts their six month waiting period. You know, again, this is California. I'm not sure what other states do, but there's a six month waiting period from when that person is served until their divorce can be terminated. You know, their marital status can be terminated. So if they are able to reach a full settlement, then I can write up all of that into, you know, the proper documentation and that gets filed with the court and that becomes their divorce decree, their judgment. So again, if they're able to work out a settlement, then they can work with a legal document preparer. Yeah. Hey, what are the scenarios where this can and can't work? I know you just addressed that a little bit, but, you know, I'm just wondering, um, does someone typically come see you and they've got a mediator in tow? Are you sitting with the couple when they're working things out? Are you literally just providing the legal documentation and then helping the couple file everything? It depends on the couple. You know, I, I try to be neutral. I'm not a licensed mediator. So sometimes there's, there's situations where it gets a little sticky and they just aren't able, they don't know what questions to ask and stuff like that. And since I'm not an attorney, I can't advise them. I usually will send them to an attorney to get legal advice first. Like, what are your rights? What are, you know, things that I, I just can't answer legal advice kind of things. So if they need a mediator to work out certain things, I'll, I'll refer them to a mediator. But sometimes just asking questions, you know, meeting with one of them and say, okay, these are the things you guys need to talk about and go talk about them. And then if you're able to come to the table and, and reach a, a, an agreement, I can, I can gather that information and, and write it all up for you. Like we talked in episode three, it takes two people to agree to do things a certain way. Right. So I think it's interesting that you point out that, you know, sometimes you have to refer people to a mediator. And, you know, that's part of the the process. But, you know, I would just imagine that people have to be somewhat on the same page um, if they're going to go through this process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes they aren't at the beginning and they're able to kind of get there after several discussions. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and on that note, Peg, do you recommend everyone seek legal counsel before they make a decision about how to file? I do. I I almost 100% of the time give people some attorneys to talk to that, you know, again, um, since I can't give them the advice and sometimes they're just, they just have no clue what the process is. I'll refer them to an attorney or I'll refer them to like the self-help at the court. Sometimes just go get educated and, and kind of understand what the process is. And then you can tell me what you want me to do. Even if I know what they need to do, I can't tell them what they need to do, you know, but they need to kind of understand what's going on to really, um, you know, they're representing themselves. So, and they'll feel it more empowered by that as well. They won't feel, you know, victimized. But a, a lot of times an attorney is a good place to start, especially a family law attorney who, who understands the whole process. Do you ever have times where you send someone to see an attorney or you recommend that and then they don't come back because maybe things get inflamed when they go see the attorney and they decide, you know, they can't do things amicably through. Sure. Sure. And that's why I refer them to attorneys I trust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, you know, and I had the opposite. I, I did go to a, an attorney and I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, I don't need you guys to do this for me. <laughs> and I was so glad I went though, because you're right. I got educated. I was more clear on the process. You know, I heard it from them. I knew what you could offer and I made my decision. Right. So I felt I felt better about that. I still had a lot to learn and I still do. You know, it's there's it's uh it's, it's a, there's a lot of documents and there's a lot of things to wade through. Um right. But, and sometimes that, I'm yeah. sorry, I was gonna say sometimes they'll start with an attorney and and simply it gets too expensive and they they just can't continue to if they're fighting, they start like, ooh, maybe we could reach middle ground and save this money for our children's college education. <laughs> you know. It it just they realize that there really isn't a need to litigate and let's come to the table and, and save a whole lot of money and try to work this out between ourselves and just get somebody to write it up for us, just what the legal document assistants do. Yeah. And what what um kind of bookkeeping and documents do you need to collect in advance to work with a legal docs assistant or really an attorney? So what are the things that we need to collect and um what could be some obstacles to getting them that you've seen? Okay. Yeah. So in California, they want they want full disclosure of all assets and debts, all income and expenses. So if somebody's considering a divorce, they should know that they need to try to acquire that information ahead of time, especially if they're not sure it's going to be amicable. You know, so if they can get their hands on bank statements, retirement plan statements, credit card debt, you know, statements, tax returns, all of that stuff, whether it's in either party's name, joint names or either party's names, the deed to the house, you know, all that stuff. It's just a good idea to try to collect that ahead of time so that if they, you know, need to prove any of these, you know, look, there was $80,000 in this bank account a month ago, you know, or whatever, they have that. So the obstacles would be so many people are doing it online now <laughs> that, you know, if they don't have the passwords to get into those accounts or something like that, that might be tough. But that that is a good idea to try to collect that information ahead of time. What yeah. about with property? Uh, you know, you mentioned the house, but like a car, a boat, a rental property, things for your kids, your, your furniture. Is that something that you help the couple with as far as like, hey, here's how you can best divvy this up? Or is it really up to them to kind of reach that agreement on their own? I'll, I'll ask a lot of questions, but I, I can't really make recommendations. So, you know, as far as you, you mean, as far as trying to settle all the issues in a, in a case, like what, what they need to. Yeah. I mean, so you just talked about like collecting the bank statements and, and things of that nature. There's also the property too. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, are they going into this saying, all right, you know, you're going to get the car. I'm going to get the boat. You're going to get the rental property. I'm going to get the whatever. Like when people come to see you, have they already discussed those things or are you helping them navigate through kind of the division of property? 
Both. Sometimes they'll call me and say, we've already got it all worked out. We just need help writing it up. Sometimes they they just, they don't really know and they don't need to necessarily know what the settlement's going to be to get started. Sometimes they're just like, I just know I want to file for divorce and we'll work out the details later. And that's fine too. You know, we can get it all filed to get the case started, get the other party served. And then, and then I'll ask questions, you know, okay, you know, you have this house, you need to think about what you're going to do with this house. You know, is one party going to buy the other one out, refinance and buy somebody out? Are you going to sell it and split the proceeds? Or is one party going to live in it and you both keep it for two years and sell it later? You know, wait, wait till the kids are out of high school, you know, whatever. There's lots of options. And, and I'm not going to say this, you should do this or you should do that. But I can, you know, I might ask questions like, have you, what have you thought about? What have you talked about? These are, you know, some, you know, there's a retirement plan. Are you going to divide that? Is one party going to keep it and offset it with some other asset? You know, so for the most part, you want to try to fit, split your stuff 50-50 as, as far as, you know, California, it's community property state. So you want to try to think about, you know, how are you going to divvy things up so it's somewhat equal? You know, that, that'd be the, the, the ideal situation. And some people are just like, no, he's going to keep his retirement. I'm going to keep mine. I don't care that mine's $50,000 less than his. We just want to get this done, you know? So, and I'm not going to say that's not fair. You can't do that. The court's not going to let you, you know, it's like, if you guys agree, that's what your agreement is. That's fine. The court's not going to say you can't agree to that, you know? So, and then the debts, community property debts, you have to think about who's going to pay those, you know, that's someone equal. If there's outstanding taxes, you know, it's just, there's, there are a lot of assets that people don't really think about you know if one car's paid off and the other one has a at you know has a huge loan on it who's going to take which car who can afford to pay that car <laughs> payment that kind of stuff so that's as far as division of of the assets and debts they also have to think about if they have children what's the child sharing situation going to be have you worked out you know are they going to go back and forth week to week are they going to stay with one parent during the week and one on the weekends? You know, are they going to go every other weekend? You know, again, I just say these. this is what you have to talk about and discuss and try to work out. And usually the, the custody is usually one of the first things that they usually work out. If they're living separately, that's that's a pretty important one. Then child support, you know, who's what are your incomes? What is the t- child sharing time? You know, if it's 50-50, child support's going to be less than if it's you know, 90, 10, <laughs> and one party has a h- lot higher income than the other one, you know, child support's probably going to be an issue. So that needs to be calculated. Spousal support needs to be discussed. Is Was one parent a stay-at-home parent for, you know, half the, half the marriage or something? And, you know, are there, is there a big disparity in their incomes? What was the marital standard of living? You know, so things like that spousal support might be an issue it could be no neither one's going to pay spousal support we're done you know we're not we're, we're taking that off the table okay but talk about it <laughs> say assets retirement plans i think we talked about retirement plans are community property in california so that's something that needs to be discussed you can each keep your own that's fine but if you know it's say, you know, a 25-year marriage and one person was a firefighter or something, there's a pretty, probably a pretty significant tension. So, you know, there's there's ways to divide that if it needs to be divided. Taxes, are they going to file taxes jointly for the year that they separated? Or are they going to file separately? Who's going to claim the kids for as dependents going forward? That's something they need to talk about. Debts. I don't know if I mentioned debts. I got to, you know, who's going to pay what debts? If there's back taxes, things like that. There's just there's so many things to think about and talk about. And again, I'll just I'll just I might just just give them a list of things to discuss and say talk about it and let me know. <laughs> it's sure. a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot to think about. Yeah, and coming to that agreement. So you've just mentioned so many things to consider, and I bet there's so many more that we wouldn't think of. You know, and and then you you touched on on um, making decisions around the kids. So how does that lay out? How does that work with the parenting plan? Um, how is that written up? 
And whether, you know, it's how we're going to get through this time or long term, you know, how do they, you know, to agree on these major decisions, things like healthcare, school and religion. How does how does that work? Again, every case is different. It, you know, it depends on the parties. Uh, some people want their parenting plan very vague. You know, they they think they can are going to be able to work together long term and they can keep it as vague as parties will share the children as agreed, you know, something very, very vague like that. Um, other people want it, you know, the the physical custody of it, very specific, like the children will be with dad from 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Sunday and Tuesdays for dinner from 5 to 8. <laughs> so just really, it, it can be as specific as they want to. They can specify holidays and things like that. As far as the... Um, healthcare, school, stuff like that. There's there's custody is two different things. There's legal custody, which is decision making regarding health and um, school and things like that. And then there's the physical custody. So most parents want joint legal custody because they want to be able to, you know, make joint decisions on where the kids go to school, who their doctors are, if they're going to have braces, you know, things like that. So that can be joint or sole to one parent, but most in most circumstances, that's going to be joint. Um, and then physical custody, again, it can be considered joint, even if it's not 50-50 exactly, you know, especially in California, the courts like to see it joint physical custody, even if it's, you know, 80% of the time with one parent and 20% of the time with the other parent, they still kind of consider that joint physical. It might be a, a primary home for, say, school enrollment. And then the other party might have alternate weekends or something. So, you know, every case is a little bit different. And those, again, are the things that the people need to discuss. Have you ever had a situation where the parties can agree on the finances, the property, but they can't figure out the agreement on the kids and the parenting plan and things of that nature. And if that happened, what do you recommend? Do they go see a lawyer just for that portion of the agreement? Do they work with a mediator? Again, I know it's not one size fits all, but you know, I've talked to people where they're able to work through the business aspects of divorce, but when it comes to the parenting plan, that's a little bit more emotional and, and challenging. Right. I will often refer people either to um, a parenting coach or a mediator, or they could take it into court for just that one issue. Because um, at least in California, they have family court services mediation, where if they, they file for a hearing regarding custody, they'll automatically go to mediation first. And these are licensed you know, marriage family counselors or licensed social workers that that help them work out a parenting plan. And if they're unable to agree, then they'll make a recommendation to the court. And then the court will usually rubber stamp that recommendation, maybe with a little bit of modifications. But once they go into the hearing and then they have that order and then they can incorporate that order into any long term, you know, a judgment or custody order moving forward. And that will usually establish the, the time share, you know, the amount of time that each of them spend with kids. And based on that and knowing what each of their incomes is, then they can calculate what the child support, what the proper child support should be. So sometimes you got to involve the court, <laughs> unfortunately, if they really can't agree. And with a parenting coach, would they be helping them come to make some decisions through coaching? Is that the... Uh, it, it, yeah, in an ideal situation, sure. Yeah, I mean, if they're both willing to work with a parenting coach and the and the parenting coach that I refer to also um, talks with the kids as well, you know, and depending on their ages, if they're little tiny things, yeah, they probably don't have a whole lot of input. But once they're, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, they definitely have some kind of opinion on where they want to be spending their time. And personally, I think that opinion should be at least taken into consideration. It's going to work out whatever's in their best interest. It might not be what mom or dad really wants. You know, I want 50-50, but if they're working, you know, the kids got to the babysitter, maybe it's better that they be with mom during that time or whatever, you know? So always looking at what's the best, best interests of the children, you know, that's ideally. Absolutely. I love that idea of bringing in a parenting coach. So it seems very smart timing 
to do that and good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Keep it even and and let the kids have, you know, their voice heard as well. Well, again, there's so much going into this. And as you lay all this out, you know, I think, you know, I, I look back and think how long it took for me, but I didn't have, I did not have to do a parenting plan. So what is the general timeline that you see this taking for people? And also, if you can talk about, I'm sure people are very curious, what does this cost, mm-hmm. you know, to do with on this avenue of working with a legal docs assistant versus going to through an attorney? So timeline and cost. Timeline, again, it's every case is, is going to be a little different and every legal document assistant might be a little different just depending on, you know, how busy people are. But in general, from the time that, again, you you file the initial paperwork and the, the responding party gets served, that starts a clock. So if they're able to reach a full agreement and they can do it in most of the cases, the people I work with, we do it by default with agreement, which just means the respondent doesn't necessarily have to file a response with the court because there's a filing fee to file a petition and there's a filing fee to file a response. And if they reach a full agreement on this case, then they don't necessarily need to file a response because that's more just for contested cases. So um, so the once they're served, you can write up the agreement and get it filed with the court 30 days or 31 days after that service set uh, of the initial paperwork is done. So people that I work with, again, depending on timing and, you know, all the cases I've got where I'm working on and stuff, usually I can get that agreement written up within that 30 day period or, you know, as long as it takes for them to reach the agreement, get it written up, get it signed, notarized, sent into the court after that 30 days has passed. And then it's just in the court's hands how long they if they take the process. Right now, they're taking longer than usual. COVID definitely slowed things down at the courts. They don't have the staff they have had in the past. So it's taking, you know, maybe say 20 weeks, you know, four or five months to get everything processed and returned. So their marital status can't terminate for six months. And it's taking about that long, four or five, six months to get their paperwork back, their judgment back in hand. So again, if they can reach an agreement pretty pretty quickly, they can have their divorce done within that or right about that six-month period. I'm going to throw in a public service announcement. And Peg, I want to see if you back me on this. Mm-hmm. One of the first things that I did when I was getting divorced, I changed my will. A lot of people don't change their will. And you could be left in a position where if you have a sudden death, you're leaving everything to the person that you're getting divorced from. It is definitely I, I, something to think about. And beneficiaries, yeah. on I mean, you have to be careful about the timing because if you look at the back of the summons, you know, there's certain things you can't do. You can't change before the divorce is finalized. Changing life insurance policy, you know, beneficiaries and things like that. So you just have to be sure you're, make sure you're within the laws that you're allowed to do. But yeah, once... Once you're allowed to, definitely that's something they, they should do is check their their beneficiaries on policies, bank accounts, their will, who they have power of attorney, if they have a healthcare power of attorney or something like that. And they, they want to make sure they're naming the right free people. <laughs> not going to pull the plug on them. <laughs> um, you asked about cost. If somebody's going to do it completely on their own, like through the self-help center with the court or something, the filing fees in Riverside County in California, it's uh, $450 to file a petition. In a lot of the other counties, it's only $435. So you're looking at about that much to file. There are certain um, situations where they might qualify for a fee waiver. So there's other paperwork they can do. If they qualify for a fee waiver, then they don't even have to pay that. But And then it, depending on the, the complications and the cases and stuff, if it's a really simple what they call a summary dissolution, where it's a very short-term marriage, no assets, no kids. It could be as, as little as $500 to get that paperwork done. And if it gets a little more complicated and there's calculations that have to be done for child support and all that stuff, it might be up to you know, $1,300, $1,500. But trying to get into an attorney's office <laughs> for less than $2,500 retainer is, is would be pretty unusual. So it can definitely be a, um, a viable alternative uh, cost-wise. 
So you use a legal document assistant. And again, we all set our own fees. So each each office might have different fees, but most people I know work on a um, flat fee basis. They just, you know, can just do a flat fee and then whatever done, whatever needs to be done in that case gets done for that amount. Right. Well, you know, people out there and and here on this podcast who, you know, I know have spent tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, on attorneys probably are having their jaw wide open right now to think that this option even <laughs> exists. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say, though, probably a case that was going to go to ten, twenty thousand dollars probably is might not be something that a legal document assistant could could do because that 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 entails a lot of litigation. So true. Yeah. True. Uh, another question. Do you think if if it was smooth, could in a divorce go through an attorney in the courts as quickly as it could with a legal docs assistant? If all went well, could it go just as quickly? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's definitely possible. Again, it depends on people's schedules and things like that. But mm-hmm. if there isn't any, you know, hearings and things like that, it it could go a lot faster than if they had to go into court because it takes 60 to 90 days to get a hearing often. So that would slow things down a bit, I think. Okay. Okay. Well, Peg, what advice do you have out there for people who are considering a divorce and scared to face divorce or the family legal system or even just make the next move? I would suggest getting yourselves as educated as you can about the process. The self-help, the the court websites have self-help links on most of them. Get in there and just noodle around. <laughs> There's a lot of questions that can be answered just by clicking on on stuff through the court website. And I have found that the Sacramento County Law Library has a really good informative website as well. It's saclaw.org. Um, and there's a lot of information on there in forms and, and people can do a lot of things on their own just by checking out their resources. I've, I've used it myself <laughs> several times. Great. Well, thanks. Hey, Peg, thanks so much for joining us and sharing so much about the details of self-filing, uh, the process for divorce. It's been really, really helpful to us and our audience. And Reminder to our audience, you can find out more about Peg McLaughlin and this process at SoCalLegalDocs.net. A note that SoCalLegalDocs.net only operates in California. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Finding Yourself Single podcast. Thank you. Email the hosts at FindingYourselfSingle at gmail.com. Follow the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Twitter at FindYourselfSNG and on Instagram at Finding Yourself Single. Listen to all episodes of the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and podcast platforms everywhere. Finding Yourself Single is a production of Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.